Hey, folks. Thanks for checking out uh, today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast with Home Before Dark's Dana Fox. Yeah, great show on Apple TV that you can stream season one and season two right now. One of my favorite shows uh, that I have stumbled upon in the last few months. It was great. Binged it. And uh, it was just, it was so much fun. And I appreciate Dana for making the time to come on to talk all things uh, Home Before Dark, her career, um, just everything about the writing process, running a show, um, and just everything involved that makes uh, Home Before Dark on Apple TV such a great, fun, just nice place to hang out. Um, I It's just a show that you very much enjoy and that it's just nice to, to be around and nice to have on. And um, it's very, very interesting, the family dynamics, everything that goes into it. Um, it's just a different kind of show and it's fun. It's exciting. Season three uh, should be here, you know, before you know, but we'll see when, when specifically uh, season three will be released. But I so much enjoyed uh, my conversation with Dana and I greatly appreciate her making the time on today's edition of the podcast. Uh, we're going to do these special uh, interview pods on Sundays, not sports related. So look out for that every Sunday morning on your feed. Uh, because yeah, Sunday mornings, uh, this is when these kind of uh, different kind of pods that um, just not sports and things that I like and with really, really talented folks who are really good at what they do like Dana. So thank you to her for coming on the show today. Uh, don't forget, you can watch our interview on YouTube. So go to youtube.com, look up the Chase Thomas podcast, and you'll find this uh, interview along with every other episode of the last few weeks. So go subscribe, like all that good stuff. And if you like listening to Dana and myself on this podcast and you just enjoy this podcast, please do make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, um, all that more. And uh, yeah. All right. Let's get into our conversation with Dana. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a special edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Not sports. Dana Fox has made a very strong case against us talking about sports in this podcast because sports is not her thing. But what is her thing is writing a really fun TV show that I binged a few months ago. I found it on Apple TV, and being a journalist myself, having my undergrad in journalism, being a master's student here at the University of Tennessee, and more, you guessed it, communications and journalism... Uh, it spoke to me. And as someone who was writing uh, a bunch as a kid and was doing the dorky stuff, like running the paper and just being really into my notepad and just taking notes is one of my favorite, favorite hobbies and just uh, listening and um, just following stories and reading fun stories. And your show, Home Before Dark, uh, hit on all of that for me. So it was great. And then it was done because I finished it because there were 10 episodes uh, per season. And I was like, oh, no, that that's it. Uh, what, what do I do now? The joy and pain of binge watching a TV yes. show. Yeah. I sort of did the same thing. I, I like snorted Emily in Paris like cocaine, although <laughs> admittedly, I've never actually tried cocaine. So I don't actually know anything about that, what I was just saying. But um, I assume that it's the kind of thing where it goes really fast and then you feel mm-hmm. like everything's amazing and then it's mm-hmm. just over. Right. Um, so yeah, I did that with Emily in Paris when I got the booster. I was like, uh, yeah, I'm a big pro vaccine person. And I was like, bring it on, baby. Like, take me down. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. And um, so I was like, oh man, I feel like crap for a few hours. And I was like, ooh, this might be an excuse to watch 
all of Emily Barris <laughs> sat there and just like flew through it. And I was like, that's a good, that's a good, that was a fun little ride right there. Um, so I'm really glad you liked the show. That makes me so yeah. happy. And I'm so happy that you vibed with the idea of like us taking kids seriously. Cause mm-hmm. it was kind of like a love letter to my nerdy self. I had a, a lot of businesses growing up. I don't know if you ever did that where you're like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm going to be like a private investigator and like, <laughs> um, Speaking of communications, I never got that deep into the actual like running of those businesses, mm-hmm. I, but I was really into like the marketing. So there was a lot of like, I got the, I'm, I'm photocopying the handouts about how you can like, I can like spy on your husband if you suspect him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I was like eight years old. My parents were like, we'll yeah. see about that. But, uh, but yeah, I was a dork. I was taking a lot of notes and a lot of notebooks. Still am. So you, you identify a lot with Hildy, the main character. Do, yeah. Okay. For sure. So I also know uh, yeah. a lot of young girls who um, aren't necessarily like Hildy and Hildy was a real person. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know, Hildy yeah. is actually a human and she's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really identified with her. And I also know a lot of young women who mm-hmm. are like truly extraordinary and young men, frankly, mm-hmm. where like, if you just take them seriously and you actually listen to them and you treat them kind of like little adults, you're just like, Oh yeah, no, you're like, you have like a really good point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like really, really smart. So um, I tended to kind of want to make a show that could take kids seriously and mm-hmm. also try to do something with tone that I had never seen before. Because what I get really jazzed about now in my work is trying to figure out how to um, nail really challenging tones. Mm-hmm. So this show, I don't know what your experience of it was, but a lot of people were like, well, is it for adults or is it for kids? And mm-hmm. I can't tell and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um I think part of that is because, frankly, there's a female protagonist. I think that if she had been a boy, mm-hmm. everybody would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is like in the grand tradition of mm-hmm. like Spielbergian movies, um, yeah. you know, Amblin movies where we take young boys seriously. Um, so I think it. I was trying to make a show that was for everybody and mm-hmm. everybody was like, this is never going to work. It's too <laughs> scary. Um, and I think we did it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when you're a kid nowadays and you have active shooter drills in your school, like why are we making TV shows for them that don't acknowledge that scary shit happens in the world? Yeah. I don't know. So, but it's also, you have like, it's also for parents. Like it's also for the, just what you have to juggle because Hildy is this, she, for better or for worse, the character sucks a lot of oxygen out of the room everywhere she is. And that's what she goes through a lot is she feels so bad. She doesn't mean to, um, to be that kid in the family who just all eyes are on her all the time, but she's really just following her dreams and following what she believes is right. But that comes at a cost. So I think what is, what's always been super interesting to me is like how the dad juggles it, how the mom juggles it, how, the older sister for sure juggles it because they have a huge disconnect between the two of them um, because she's just kind of forgotten about because she's not uh, getting in trouble with law enforcement. She's not writing a newsletter. She's just a normal, just want to have fun kid. She wants to go to dances. She wants to just have the normal high school experience. And Hildy has no interest in any of that. And because she stands out in her own way, 
it pulls uh, it just pulls the parents in different directions and it shows that it it's a blurred line here like it's complicated to raise very different children so when it comes to the question of is this for children it's really just for like relationships across the board um and how we approach them so it's how we approach relationships with kids we see in our uh, everyday life with parents and understanding that parents there's a lot that they're putting up with on a day-to-day basis and you have no idea what's going on with them and I, I like shows like that where there's a lot of moving parts and it's it it's messy. Like parenting is messy. And I think that's something you do a great job of uh, in the show is that, yeah, Hildy's awesome, but it also comes at a cost with the rest of the family. Oh my God, you're amazing. I'm getting like choked up from listening to you talk about the show. I'm like, that's so beautiful. I just so appreciate that you um, sort of see that, get that. We we had the world's most amazing writers and our mm-hmm. directors were incredible. I mean, John Chu directed the pilot in the second episode. He's extraordinary. You know, he uh, did In the Heights and Crazy Rich Asians. And he's just absolutely an amazing visionary director guy. But the, what was so awesome about him was he'd also just become a parent. Mm-hmm. and he had just had a daughter and so he was we got him in his feels man we were like you got to direct the show man because mm-hmm. you got a daughter now and he's like you're gonna be a dad and he was like all emo and he was like yeah i gotta mm-hmm. direct the show um so that was amazing and you know we had uh, some really other you know cat cat Candler was an incredible director and all of our amazing writers and everyone just kind of put themselves really in it in this Mm. way that was like really beautiful to see. And so there were so many people with very different backgrounds on working on the show, working together on the show. So there were people who had no kids. There were people who weren't in relationships. There were people who were in relationships, but had no kids. There Mm. were married people with kids. So everybody was like, I want to talk about my thing. And so we kind of put it all in the show. Um, And as a result, I think it was a planned messiness. It was Mm -hmm. like, you know, it was obviously, it was very, very like well-constructed messiness. Like we, it was intentional messiness. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, that was very sort of freeing because that's the kind of childhood I had. It was like my parents, I loved them. They were incredible. Sometimes they yelled at me. Other times they were like the absolute greatest. Um, My brother and I got along really, really well. Other times we fought, we were, we adore each other. We want to kill each other. You know what I mean? So it was like, Mm -hmm. it's just sort of a hot mess all the time. If you're honest about what it is. And I think anybody trying to like muddle through life, whether at any age, wherever you are in your life, especially now with COVID where it's like, Oh my God, what are we doing guys? Mm -hmm. You just want to, you want to normalize that messiness. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing I try to do with my kids all the time is that, you know, I try to say to them, like, yeah, it's going to be really bad. Like everything's yeah. pretty bad. A lot of the time, it's like really hard. And mm-hmm. um, instead of sort of being like, yeah, everything's okay. It's all amazing. It's all wonderful because that doesn't, that's not what it feels like to be alive. Um, mm-hmm. And when I think when you say that and you do that, what you're doing is you're making people who have, all of those other feelings feel like they're abnormal. And I Mm. really wanted to make everybody feel like messiness is normal. It's beautiful. It's part of life. It is life. That is it. That is the thing to try for and hope for. Um, Like it was a lesson I learned personally because I had a lot of struggles with infertility and I was like, always wanted to have kids. And then I had to have seven IVFs. I had three miscarriages. I was like, what is happening? How did this happen? Mm. It was really intense. Um, And I ended up through IVF with these two beautiful children who, are like absolutely wonderful. I'm obsessed with them. Mm. And then um, I think my husband would be fine with me saying this. 
And then um, after all that crazy infertility, he was like, you know, we had just had our second baby and he, you know, he was like, you know, you're going to have to have sex with me again someday. And I was like, oh, you're the worst. And I was like, fine. And so, um, because I was so tired, I was like, get away from me. So anyway, so I'm like, yeah, fine. All right. All right. I had a good sleep last night. We can do it. So we had sex one time and I got mm. pregnant again. Um, naturally, wow. which was like a shocker beyond belief. Like my face fell off of my face when I figured mm. it out. Like I could not believe that it happened. It was the craziest thing in my entire life. So I ended up with three kids, which is definitely a lot of kids. Like if mm. anybody out there has three kids, like who has a lot of kids? Mm. Um, I'm amazed you're by people. Oh, you're totally outnumbered. And so mm -hmm. basically I went from being like a perfectionist, A plus student who went to Stanford, who got everything right, who tried really hard, did it all right, mm -hmm. to um, being like, oh, I'm fucked up. Like I got nothing. <laughs> I was a mess and I was mm. tired and I was dirty and I was gross and I couldn't keep it together. I was crying all the time. I was laughing. I was crying. So I remember thinking to myself, I'm just going to lean into this. I'm going to mm. lean into this mess. I am not going to try to keep cleaning up this mess over and over again. I'm going to be like, the joy is the mess. And I'm just going to get down on the floor when it gets really bad. And I'm just going to mm. like, let the mess like fall all over me. Mm. Um, and so that was what ended up sort of breaking me of my perfectionism in the end was I was just like, oh man, like you can, if you can learn to have fun in the chaos, it can mm. actually be a good life. So anyway, I don't know how we got on that, but. Well, I mean, You're that the actually. Best, Chase. Like, what's your story? What are you doing? Let's do a podcast about you. No, no, no. This no. is a podcast. This actually is. This is what I do. Is uh, <laughs> this is this is what I do? Um, but no, I think that's interesting too. Does that inform how you write now? Because you have three kids, and because they like obviously the main characters um, have three children of their own and three very different children. One also being very young, but. Um, Bridget is kind of what you're describing where she goes back to work. Um, she doesn't know whether or not she should go back to work. She doesn't really know. Like she's having to juggle being a good parent with being a good wife, because guess what? There's problems there and kids can sense that and kids can pick up on that. So she, like, there's just so much about that. And it goes back to the messiness that, um, I, I, I love because it also gives you the moments where like, I think the best scenes in the show are not with Matthew and um, Hildy. It's with Matt and Izzy because oh, that's when beautiful. he, and I think, and I really believe that because I think when he realizes that he overlooked her and he realizes that he messed up, that's a huge thing because he will always have the relationship with Hildy. He'll always yeah. have that. They, they love the same thing. They're wired the same way. That relationship is fine and will be fine forever. What isn't and what might not be is the oldest who's going to leave for college soon, who once she's out the door, that's it. Like you've got to like prioritize her because she's just trying to be a normal teen. And he he is not that person. He was Hildy as a kid. Yeah, and that's so hard for him. Figure out how to relate to her. And that's a Correct. real challenge. I mean, mm -hmm. first of all, thank you for seeing that stuff. All the actors on the show are so brilliant, but yeah. those two together, they had this magic because you, you, exactly what you're saying, which is like, you, you know, as writers, sometimes we would be like, really thinking hard about how Izzy would feel, especially mm -hmm. because like the show was sort of about Hildy being yeah. an extraordinary kid. And so, mm -hmm built into that, there's this sense of like, well, what do you do when you're not the extraordinary one? Mm -hmm. You know, like, where does, how does that leave you as a person trying to find why you are special? Um, and I remember like sort of feeling like there's, you know, there's just a certain amount of real estate in any family. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And when somebody's behaving in one way, the other kid is like, well, I can't do that because that one's doing that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it kind of makes me sad because I, yeah. I was, I would think about Izzy and I would be like, I really want her to feel as special as Hildy, you know, mm-hmm. I want her to feel that. And really it's like, she doesn't need what Hildy needs. Yeah. All she actually needs is to feel seen by her parents is like mm-hmm. what you're sort of realizing and that mm. scene on the beach i don't know if you remember that yes. one where he oh, oh yes. i can't mm-hmm. i was just like bleh, bleh, tears shoot yeah no that um, was 100 yeah best scene ever and it's so natural it's like you're actually mm-hmm. watching all of these like our our show was we were really like a total family when we were shooting those you know like every season we were we were a family especially in COVID because like literally mm-hmm. though they couldn't see anybody else besides each other. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was like, I mean, I mean they could, but it was like, it, everything was so bubbled. We, we went back to shooting very early in the COVID pandemic and because we were actually in Canada shooting mm-hmm. and Canada originally had handled it so well that it was sort of like staying much more kind of, um, at bay in Vancouver. Yeah. So we, we came back very early and we had this extraordinary uh, producer. Her name is Connie Dolphin. Oh my God, the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, Connie Dolphin, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just made sure we did not get shut down. We were super careful. We were all about following all the rules, etc. But one of the sort of offshoots of basically being in quarantine was that they all got like even closer in the second mm-hmm. season. So what you're watching on screen in the show is real. Like it's like real love. Like they have real love for each other. They're mm-hmm. all still like best friends. Every mm-hmm. time we're not shooting, they're like hanging out with each other because they all love each other so much and reaching out to each other. Mm-hmm. And you know, so you're, and also with Brooklyn, who is truly extraordinary, especially at the age that she is to be mm. able to do what she can do. And it wasn't just because she was like a uh, gifted magical child, which she is. It was partly because she just had like the most extraordinary work ethic and her mother, um, Courtney Prince, who's this like incredible acting coach for kids mm. would help her like get really inside of all of the stuff, um, mm-hmm. all of the material. So by the time she was actually shooting, you would just see her actually truly inhabit those moments and like feel those feelings on mm-hmm. camera. It wasn't like she was pretending. It was like she had figured out a way to access some part of herself where she was experiencing real grief about certain things, or she was experiencing um, happiness or sadness or all these different things. You, you, so it's like, for me, as somebody who's worked with a lot of actors, you know, I couldn't take my eyes off of those special sort of moments where you get lightning in a bottle. There was a similar one you're talking about mm-hmm. with Izzy, you know, where you're like, Oh, I just caught something like yes. so magical with a camera. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of will always be grateful for those moments because that's the kind of thing that gets me like really excited about my job. It's not the stuff where we like, we learn our lines we show up, we say the mm-hmm. words it's, it's sort of the times when we make magic together. Mm-hmm. Have there been scenes at times where you're like, well, that was a lot better on paper. <laughs> that was a lot better. In- <laughs> Luckily on that show, mm-hmm. like I didn't really have that experience a nice. lot. And you know, yeah. one of the things that I also had was um, I had the help of like some really extraordinary people, you know, producer, other producers, as I mentioned before, the writers and also mm-hmm. like really extraordinary editors um, mm-hmm. and people in post-production, which is for me, editing is like, the final writing process because Mm -hmm. editing, as you know, from, I'm sure you edit your stuff too. It's like 
you're you're sort of writing it once it's once it's like you have that's the clay and then you're mm. writing it again to make yeah. it what it wants to be it's like you go i go into everything going like oh i know what i want this scene to be and i know mm. what i want this episode to feel like but the one thing i think i'm really good at after all these years of sort of doing it in movies and in television is I immediately let go of what I thought it was going to be or what I mm-hmm. wanted it to be. And I go, well, what did I get? Like, mm-hmm. what is it? Like, let's be realistic about what it is. And maybe I found something I didn't think I was going to find. Maybe I didn't like something I thought I was going to like. And so then it's all about at that moment, really getting in there with, um, you know, your editors. And I had mm-hmm. so many extraordinary editors, but I do have to shout out Myron Kirstein, who was like really like my partner in crime and post. And he just mm-hmm. got nominated for an Oscar two days nice. ago or yesterday. I'm just so proud of him. He's incredible. He got nominated for an Oscar for Tick, Tick, Boom. So very um, cool. that's my family right there, Myron. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was really like incredible because we would basically just like basically build every episode from Mm -hmm. the minute we got it. There were many that we just like got them and we were like, Oh, super solid, like great episode. Just like awesome. Let's go. Mm. There were other episodes where we would get them and it was no one's fault. It wasn't the director's fault. It wasn't the actor's fault. It wasn't any, it wasn't even the writer's fault. It just was like, huh? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nope. Didn't, yeah. didn't nail it. Like just, we didn't get it. And it, and it was for a variety of reasons that I, and I never blame, I never fault anybody. I don't care mm. about that kind of thing. I never want to talk about blame anything, whatever. I just want to like move on and try to make it great. Yeah. And we would just like, I remember one episode where we, there was a name of a character who was like a suspect in a thing. Mm. And I had like a crazy Eureka moment one day where I was like, cause we were going to do a few little reshoots to like try to jobby up this episode. and. I, I had this like crazy Eureka moment one day where I was like, oh, wait, the character can still say that person's name in that scene, but we can make it a different person. Like, I was like, oh yeah. my God, I'm a genius. <laughs> and so that was like, it was like the, the dumbest thing. And it's like, of course, well, duh. Like, mm-hmm. once you see it, you're like, yeah, duh. But yeah. it's like when you play one of those incredible puzzle games where. Mm-hmm you know, Wordle or whatever the heck it is. And you're just like, I'm, you know, yeah. I did it. Um, mm. But that's sort of what editing feels like to me. Um, so super fun part of the process. Um, and by the way, sports, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm going to loop, I'm a looping it. I'm looping like it right it. back to you. You're thinking sports. about the pod. I appreciate that. I love the pod. I love your pod community. I just want to give a shout out to the yeah. sports. Dana Fox, um, a sportswoman. People I'm forget that. Kind of a fanatic, like mm-hmm. if I'm honest. Um, no, but what I was going to say is the one way in which now that I like live with a human being, my sweet, wonderful husband, who mm-hmm. is obsessed with British uh, football, aka uh-huh. soccer. Um, and Who's his team? I, uh, Manchester City United. or United? United. Did okay. you see how scared I was? I, was like, I know. I was like, no, okay. no, no. There you go. Got the kit. Oh, wait, mm-hmm. no, Liverpool. Oh, my God. You Very different. Those are rivals. Oh, God. Oh, no, no. that's in here forever. No, can't. we're leaving. No, no, no. Cut it out. Cut I it can't out. do that. No. Well, my I husband, do... I know the team. He literally bought our children matching Liverpool uh-huh. kits. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're wearing full kits yeah. like, all the time, matching, including my Very daughter. Cool. Like, well, I'm like, a Liverpool fan, so this works. Oh my God. Thank God. I got really panicked. That, I really panicked. Did you see how scared I was? When I, was I know I knew it was wrong. I was like, I freaked out. Yeah. So he's mm-hmm. a huge Liverpool fan. 
um, you never walk alone, correct? That's correct. See, there you okay. go. Now you're all back me in. With the sports. Yeah. I'm, I'm back in with the sports. Mm-hmm. But what I was going to say is now that I've sort of like learned to love sports through my husband, and obviously mm-hmm. I'm not super great at all the details, but I, <laughs> I call it their costumes. Um, right. Their, their uniforms. It drives them crazy. So does my sports like, oh, renaissance woman. Yeah. So great. We this should talk why. about your renaissance woman. I should maybe help yeah. you guys write the sportgasm book. Because, I mean, hey. Like, I told her, you. you know, it's funny. And this brings it back to your show is that what she tells me sometimes is that I, I told her I was interviewing you and I was like, what? she was like, you know, that you can't like when we have children, like you can't just have your own Hildy. That's not how this works. You can't just like, <laughs> you don't know what you're going to yeah, get. You don't That's know. You can't just be like something happens and you're like, right. Oh, all right. You can't Aww. just, you can't just force a, a journalist. You can't force that on some kid that you just connect with and that they are into what you're into. It's not how it well, works. And- and that's the thing like you mm-hmm. were sort of um, catching on to with Matt and, mm-hmm. which, and Izzy, which is that like I sort of had certain moments in my life with my own kids where like I, there are certain moments where I'm like, oh, I completely understand you because you're mm-hmm. doing what I would have done as a child or who I – you're that exactly is me. Yeah. And then there'd be moments where I would just be like, you're an alien. Like, where did you come from? Did you mm-hmm. like, who's your real mother? Cause it's, it ain't me. And mm-hmm. I, it just, I had to finally like relax and be like, Oh, they literally come out of you. Like however, like honey, yeah. they come out of you as honey badgers who don't give a fuck. They come <laughs> out of you and they just are who they are. And your job <laughs> is to like walk beside them and be like, you're awesome. Like keep going, yeah. work hard. Blah, blah, blah. Like, but mm-hmm. you're basically just there as like a cheerleader and to be like, don't hit your head. Like that's your job. Yeah. Um, and you can't control how they're going to be at all. It's like zero. Mm-hmm. So all you got to do is just like, I once learned like, oh, modeling good behavior is actually mm-hmm. like the number one thing you can do as a parent. So anyway, a lot of that Hildy stuff came from my parents who, you know, I had a very interesting couple of parents. My dad was an ER doctor. My mom mm-hmm. was a psychologist. And so when I was really young, they would talk a lot about like the craziest stuff. So, you know, mm-hmm. that scene where Matt's like talking to them about weapons and stuff. Yes. It's like, fully my dad like he mm-hmm. was just like and then my mom would tell me stories about like oh well if somebody comes up to you in a parking lot like i would be 13 years old and mm-hmm. she'd be like we're gonna talk about how not to get raped and i'd be like rape what what sex i don't even yeah. know what any of it is and she would be like you if your gut tells you something's wrong your gut is right do not tell your gut to be quiet you listen to it you mm-hmm. get the hell out and you move your body and you don't worry about being humiliated or looking stupid it doesn't matter after the fact you can figure out who was right who was wrong doesn't matter get your body out of that situation and like she used to they used to really talk to me about like very difficult stuff and i think what was interesting to as a kid who experienced that is i think parents think that that's going to scare their kids but mm. actually that made me feel powerful that was the thing that made me feel not scared. Huh. So anyway, you never know. Back to sports. Wait, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looping it back. Don't make me not I like it. this. Yeah. So here's why I think making television shows or, or movies is, is actually like very, very similar to sports mm-hmm. is because of the team. It's like the yeah. whole reason you want to do it is because you want to be on the team and you want to mm-hmm. be your personal best. But you know that being your personal best only works if everyone around you is like completely elevated to their personal best and that your job as a teammate is to actually make them all do their best just as much as it is to do your best. Sports. Sports. Hashtag sports. 
<laughs> did that work? Did I do it? Did I do the, sport, the sports stuff? Oh, that was great. Yay. I like finger that. Point thing. This yes. is finger, the the finger, finger point. Yeah, that's Texas yeah. Tech. You were doing a strong Texas Tech Red Raider oh. finger point. Yeah, the finger yeah, guns. I, I that did, was good. Yeah. That was intentional. We'll go with it. Oh, sure, um, I'll take it. Do you think you would the show would be or you would write the show the same if it was not an Apple TV and you got picked up by like ABC or Fox? If this was a a show on a different network where you couldn't binge it, would it be completely no, different? That, mm-hmm. The show would be really different. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do a, a network show briefly when I was starting when I was first starting to figure out if I liked television. Um, mm-hmm. I was mostly doing movies, and then I did um, this show called Ben and Kate with Dakota mm-hmm. Johnson, Les, Nat Jackson, mm-hmm. Echo Kellum, Lucy Punch, the greatest people ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, um, imagine you're on like a train track. Mm-hmm. And then you're someone t- tells you to take all your clothes off because obviously right. so you're naked on the yeah. train track. And then um, somebody takes like a little bit of kerosene and <laughs> lights your hair on fire. <laughs> but right at the moment that you realize the train is coming is when mm-hmm. all of this has just happened. And then the train is like gaining on you so fast. And you're looking at mm-hmm. it going like, wow, the train seemed farther away a second ago. Oh, it's upon me. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like what doing a broadcast show was like. It was hmm. so crazy. I, yeah. So the hard part about television, I mean, one of the many hard parts about show running is that you're uh, doing like 457,000 things at once. Mm -hmm. So there's a mountain of work that is so tall that you will never get to the top of it. You will never finish it. So you have to, it's basically all triage. You have to figure out what to do first, what to do Mm -hmm. quickest. And, um, you know, with network television, like the show was on the air. And so Mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, no, the deadlines are like pretty solid. Like you, yeah. you can't go like, oh, I couldn't figure it out. So I need a few extra days. They're literally like, no, we have to put it on TV now. So yeah. where is it? So you literally, it was so crazy, so hard. Um, and I think for me, what was really wonderful, there was a fun to it as well. Cause you know, mm. you just like sleep, sleep in your office, but it's not something you can do with three children, which is yeah. what I have. Um, it was so fun, so wonderful. But the thing that was great about doing the Apple TV version of a bingeable show was that mm-hmm. when we sold the show, we knew we had 10 episodes. So it mm-hmm. wasn't like, oh, I have to prove my case to anybody. It was yeah. literally like, what do I want to do? How do I want to make this amazing? You know, and then you kind of went through and you were like, okay, now I have to be like really good at time management to make sure mm-hmm. this like crushes um, in the time that I have allotted. But also what was amazing about it is that you'd be like, oh, wait, like, once I got to episode 10, I could mm-hmm. be like, you know what I need in episode two mm-hmm. is this. And you could like shoot a little thing and like pop it in there. So Very I was cool. able to put like yeah. so many little clues and little things that were going to pay off at final, finally at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And like, that was a super fun thing for me. I really enjoyed that. <coughs> Sorry about that. I wanted to give you like a signal. Like, I'm no, that was off. good. I like it. Okay. Um, did you always know how the Richie storyline was going to go or did you, did you evolve did, that? Yeah. over? Okay. No, I actually did. I, I knew the big, I didn't know all the like ins and outs of the, mm-hmm. uh, how you the, get there, the clue trail, like we call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I wasn't really sure like exactly how the clue trail was going to go ever because that's mm-hmm. not the way my brain works. Um, and I tend to really care a lot about characters and like mm-hmm. pe- human behavior and wanting to make sure that everything feels incredibly real that, so that if it's a mystery, you're never going like, nah, it's bullshit. I'm watching TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted it to feel like, Oh no, like people really behave that way. And like, even mm-hmm. though you're a bad guy, sometimes you like, 
you know, bad guys, I think are more interesting when they're, when you understand their behavior Mm. and you could kind of imagine yourself getting into a shitty situation and making the wrong choices and ending up there yourself, because that's just so much more gray area to deal with. I find that Mm -hmm. more interesting personally. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, the Richie Fife story. I always knew what the big moves were of that story. Mm -hmm. Um, did the cast know? I kind of don't want to ruin it for your audience, but no, yeah. the cast didn't know. The okay. cast did not know, which was really fun because mm-hmm. we would only give them what their character knew at that point. And huh. you know, that to me, that was like a really fun way of doing it. And mm-hmm. there were only a few times where the actors would be like, okay, but I kind of just need to know, like, is this going like, and it wasn't really about the mystery. Usually mm-hmm. it was usually about their characters. You know, it's like this guy, like, am I going to end up being attracted to him or am mm-hmm. I? And I'm like, okay, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want them to know what the mystery was because I wanted us to be figuring it out with them. Mm-hmm. Um, us, the audience, not the writers. Hopefully we knew. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. only knew we only knew like a little bit ahead of time, but we figured it out. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was a cool way to kind of keep their characters feeling really real, I thought. What do you have planned for season three? Like, give me the full layout, just everything episode by episode. I'm what you got going <laughs> I'm always told by Apple that I'm not mm. allowed to talk about anything yeah. that is in the future or speculative mm. or anything like that. So I'm never, I never talk about it. Also, I'm very bad at keeping my mouth shut about things. So definitely. Well, let's not get you in trouble. Me. Yeah. Oh, let's not do that. Cause I like the show and I'd rather the show continue. <laughs> and I don't want to be the person responsible for uh, oh, home before dark changing gears here. Um, well, do you have a in game in mind? Have it, when you pitched the show and you got started, did you kind of already know how many seasons and what you wanted this to be? I mean, I don't think anyone ever fully knows that. I think Mm -hmm. when you start, you don't, you always want to believe that it can kind of go on forever because Mm -hmm. you, it's such hard work. Like the work is so, it's joyful and beautiful and you make the best friends and it's like incredible for a lot of reasons. Um, Margie Love, my wonderful partner in crime, like we became like, work wives on this show joy mm-hmm. Borman, who i've worked with for 25 years who's incredible um you know so so you we all kind of came together and it was like you have to believe that it's going to go on forever but a lot of the times that's like a willing suspension of disbelief because you know that it's going to come to an end either because of the people who are on it don't want to be on it anymore or because the network is like, we're doing this instead or whatever. So or the kids grow up <laughs> or the kids grow up. Right. So it's like a really weird thing mm-hmm. of like, you have to believe that it can go on forever, but you deep down inside, you always kind of know that it might end. And that's kind of the thing that's so beautiful about it is it feels like it's a moment in time that you're trying to capture. Um, and as any parent knows, or even a parent of a dog or a cat or whatever, mm-hmm you know that like time goes real weird. Like Mm -hmm. at at points it feels really slow and you think, Oh, we're going to be able to do this forever. And then other times you look up and you're like, it's over. It's already over. Like how did Mm -hmm. this happen? Um, So that's kind of the experience of making a show, um, which is like super emo. So (laughs) I I remember when my first show, it didn't go forward. We we got canceled for ratings that if you had those ratings today, it would be a ticker tape parade. You would be the biggest show on television. But I was like the last year where network TV was still sort of like assuming that all, all ratings should be measured against like friends. And everyone's Mm -hmm. like, how come there aren't 40 billion people watching this? And you know, (laughs) so we got canceled uh, after our first season. But um, I remember coming to the, 
set and like trying to talk, trying to tell everybody that it was over. And I was mm-hmm. like, so hysterically crying that I mm-hmm. could barely get the words out. These poor people are like, mm-hmm. I got my job. Like what's, why is this lady crying in my face? Um, but I just think it's really important, you know, like not to be all like Ted Lasso about it, but like, I do think it's really important to model good like boss behavior, especially if you're a woman who's a boss. So, because there are so many fewer women of, who are bosses um, mm-hmm. that uh, in a big way on, you know, I mean, there are, there are a little bit more in television than there are in features, but mm-hmm. so I really take it very seriously. Like, I think it's like an honor that I get to do this stuff. And mm-hmm. I also think you have to model good behavior for other people so that they'll go on after you to do that stuff. So I got a t-shirt that said, I cry at work. Mm-hmm. I'm like all about like, if you're having a baby, like you can nurse your baby at work, like we'll work around you. Like, you know, I just think it's really important that these things that are normally barrier to entries to women doing well in the workplace, mm-hmm. somebody has to start like changing that because otherwise women will just stay out of it forever. Um, so I was lucky enough to have an amazing mentor, this woman, Catherine Pope. And she was like, I, I was having my first baby on my first TV show. And she was like, you know, if you got to get the boob out, you got to get the boob out. We're just going to get the boob out. That's what we're going to do. Cause that's what you got. You know? So it was, she was amazing and she's normalized it. Um, so hopefully I'm doing the same thing, carrying on that tradition. Do you think you write any differently because you've been in quarantine for the last couple of years? Do you think that's changed how you write and just being alone with your thoughts and just kind of just yeah. being on your own? Do you think that's changed how you write and how you think? Do you mean how I write in the sense of like what I end up putting on the paper or as yeah. in like my process. Well, so I'm sure like the process my- is different. I'm sure the yeah. process has to be different, right? Yeah. The process has been, been evolving, but um, mm-hmm. I'm really, I'm like really obsessed with evangelizing the idea of everybody finding their own perfect process. Like mm. I really love talking to writers who are like trying to figure it out and sort of saying like, look, my, my thing was I tried to do it the way everybody else tried to do it mm-hmm. for a long time, because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. And I thought that equaled success. Um, and then I was like, reading is really hard for me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, and I went to Stanford, I was an English major. I went to grad school. Like I, obviously I like figured out how to read, mm-hmm. but it was hard. It was, it took me a really long time. I would read a script next to one of my friends and they'd be on, you know, they'd finish the script and I would look over and I'd be on like page 13 of reading the mm-hmm. script. And I, one day I was like, I wonder if this like font on Kindle will help me. Cause it says open dyslexic. Maybe I'll just like tap on it. And I tapped on this font and I was like, mm-hmm. what are you? And I suddenly was like, oh my God, I can read 40,000% faster than I did wow. before. So I downloaded And how old were you when you figured this out? This was like, it was like a sad, it was like sad how late in my life mm-hmm. it was. It was like, three, uh, I don't know, it was probably like four or five years ago. Like, Oh, wow. So I went from being a person who was like marginally productive to being like, 40x productive because mm. I started to finally go like it doesn't matter how anybody else does it it matters how I want to do it to be mm. my most productive. So my hacks are that I have this dyslexia font I turn all my documents into that so I can zip through them I read them really quickly. Mm. I have this thing called Voice Dream that is like a robot. I put it on the British guy voice cuz it makes me happy. So a British robot man mm-hmm reads me all of my scripts and I do iterative. So Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people that like, if I read it once, I'm like, yeah, okay, I got it. But what I actually like to do is listen to it. Like, I'm not kidding. Like probably like I just wrote another TV pilot and I would say before I even showed it to anybody, I listened to it 50, 60 times. And so I just go like, Mm -hmm. 
and then I go back and I fix little things. So then I go listen mm-hmm. to it again and I go back and fix it. And I know that for other people that drives them like completely bonkers. Like they think mm-hmm. I'm completely insane and they hate it, but it just works for me. Yeah. I also discovered like, I really love colors. So like everything in my life is like <laughs> rainbow colored. And I yeah. write all of like, I, oh, I, I got you covered in colors. Oh my God. Hold on. Me. I got you. Okay. Show me. Show so, me. Okay. I will so, flash you my notebook. So rainbow. yeah, I've got this. I've got my little notebook. Like I'm telling you, like I'm a little dork, like a little notebook. Ugh. And I have, oh, here we go. Here's some more stuff. I've got you this. This is what I use for all my note taking for all the games and stuff that I watch. Um, but this is the game changer. Ugh. I tell people is that like there's the nothing. It's But like the thing is when you green stripe uh, a to-do list assignment done like by your hand, like you just do that, the you don't need to run your anymore. Like processes it. I know. Yes. And and that's the thing is like your it's brain amazing. processes it as mm-hmm. being out of your brain. So it yes. isn't the thing you now have to kind of like go in a little feedback loop about. Mm-hmm. I have this other wonderful person that I work with who's another partner of mine, this guy, mm-hmm. Michael Cummings. Michael Cummings, who's an amazing writer, and he literally has your exact pen thing, but he has like seven of them. He's like, yes. Oh yeah, and, like, I have a bunch it's of them. Yeah. You just, it, whatever works for you is what you got you have to do and find mm-hmm. the healthiest version that works for you. Like don't do something if you know inherently it's unhealthy for you. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like, you know, Hemingway was like, yeah, I get like really drunk and I write everything or whatever. Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do like yoga in the middle of the day <laughs> so that I can like get more energy. Mm-hmm. So anything that makes you feel like healthy and like your brain lights up with serotonin when you mm-hmm. see the thing, you start to associate work with pleasure. Um, I had one other hack, which was, I think I told my friend John August this, and he was like, oh my God, like I've heard literally everything except for this. Mm-hmm. But basically, like I used to get stressed out about notes. So I decided to like retrain my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I did is I got on the Stairmaster. I did mm-hmm. 15 minutes on the Stairmaster. I opened the notes up on an iPad. I read them while I was like sweating and like completely like heart racy. And I was like, oh, okay, these notes aren't that bad. And then I did it again a few times mm-hmm. that way. And I like trained myself to like physically enjoy the feeling of getting notes because I took the anxiety wow. out of it. Cause I used yeah. to get anxiety. I used to get like yeah. heart racy, like, Oh shit. Oh my God. They didn't like it. And now I have all this extra work to do. I thought I was mm-hmm. done. Blah, 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 blah. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, who's got some notes for me? Like I get excited because I'm just like, Oh, I can like unravel like just like yeah. uh, neck, like when a necklace gets tied up, there's a yeah. real pleasure in unraveling it. And it's like, yeah, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. But I'm like really enjoying solving this problem. So I've just trained myself to enjoy the process. What is one thing that Humble Before Dark fans would be most surprised to learn about you? Oh, but wait, I was going to say one of Oh, yeah, things. go ahead. Back to your real question, because I never actually answer questions. I don't know. No, it's good. I get, I get like super ADHD pew, and I like pop <laughs> off to a different thing. <laughs> it's but, okay. But no, the the thing is, you did ask me, like, does, has my writing changed in, in mm-hmm. COVID? You know, what's interesting is I actually don't, I I have decided as a person, I do not mm-hmm. want to deal with COVID in my entertainment. Mm-hmm. Like I personally am not seeking out really depressing things right now. I'm seeking out things that make me really happy. I'm watching Abbott Elementary. It's a, a unmitigated delight, this show. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who doesn't love this show? This is great. I love mm-hmm. this. 
so well done. It's beautiful. I love it. I'm so happy. You know, I'm great British bake off all day long. I'm <laughs> like, give me some of those Brits being nice to each other. It's mm-hmm. something that you barely recognize as a competition because everybody's yeah. helping each other and nobody wins anything. Like, this is what I want. I just like, mm-hmm. I want pure happiness. I want escapism. I want to get out of the world that I'm actually currently in. Yeah. So one of the things I'm not doing is writing about COVID. I'm not, no yeah. one's in a mask. I don't really want to acknowledge that it exists because like, yeah, no, we get it. It exists. Mm-hmm. I watch the news every day. I'm depressed. It's awful. I'm super sad. Mm-hmm. So I want my entertainment to lift me up. Um, I have this movie coming out in March called uh, The Lost City, which mm-hmm. is um, with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. I mean, it's a total delight. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Brad Pitt. Get, there's this new guy named Brad Pitt. He right. Turns out, I heard he of him. turns out yeah. to be a delight. This, mm-hmm. kid, this kid's going to make it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's so great. Daniel Radcliffe, the movie's like really, really, really fun and delightful. And, yeah. you know, we were, we were sort of doing one of those like weird COVID related test screenings where you like watch people watch it and you watch mm-hmm. it through your computer. It's the weirdest thing in the world, but it like really moved me to see how hard people were laughing and mm-hmm. how much they seemed to really need that. Um, so for me in COVID, like my writing is, even if I'm writing about something that's like a drama, I want it to be fun. Mm -hmm. I want to feel the experience of watching it to be really fun because life is like really hard right now for everybody. Um, So I I actually have like a renewed sense of purpose in my work, which is like, I just really want to bring people joy and I want to make them be able to forget for a moment their troubles and, it just feel a little sense of peace and happiness. And I know that sounds so cheeseball, but it's true. No, but it's also real. And that's something that I've told uh, the girlfriend about your show is that like... I love your girlfriend, by the way. I'm like mm. super invested in her. She's going to be really so sad. She's going to be so... <sighs> well, you know what's funny? Is I was I had someone on um, a few months back and I forgot what they said, but like be- because I brought her up um, organically a couple of times, they were like, oh, you, you love this girl. Like the fact I that know, you find a way... So like cute. if... Yeah, it's not forced or anything. Like, yeah, I'm gonna marry this woman one day. All that kind of stuff. It's all great. Like, love her so much. Uh, Are you from the south? I am. I'm from Atlanta. Okay, because that's cute. Margie Mm -hmm. loves from Atlanta. She's the greatest. Um, the my husband Mm -hmm. is actually from um Williamsburg, Virginia. So. Mm There, when I first met him and he was working mm-hmm. at ESPN and he was 28 years old and I was mm-hmm. 32, I was a thousand, I mean, which was like a thousand years older. Than That's amazing. My girlfriend's four years older than me. Oh my God. Amazing. Small world. Okay. So, yeah. So yeah, like the second I met him, I was like, now nah, we're going to get married. Yeah. This is a drag. Like I was just like, oh, buddy, <laughs> here we go. Like he, I just was like, oh yeah, I just love you. But he, he was so much younger than me. And I thought mm-hmm. to myself, like, this is crazy. Like, this is not going to work out. There's no way. And Wait, I actually think the age difference was bigger. Oh my okay. god. Ew. I think he was like 25. Oh my god, I'm disgusting. Anyway, he was uh-huh. very young. He was very yeah. upsetting. So and in boy years, you know, that's like mm. 13 compared yes. to female years, because we're obviously more mature than you, no offense. Yes. Or delight. But not you. You're you're mature. I like I get that you were mature when you were young. Um so anyway, long story short, I didn't understand this mm. sort of concept of he was young, but from the South, which mm-hmm. actually equals old. It was a yes. math equation I had never done before. Cause mm-hmm. like a year and a half into dating him, he's like, will you marry me? And I was like, Whoa, okay. Like what's going on here? Like I assumed I'd be like Susan Sarandon and what's his face. Like mm-hmm. maybe like, you know, common law, whatever for tax mm-hmm. purposes. But he was like, no, we're going to do this. Cause at 27 or something, all of his friends were married. Yes. Kids. That's just what we do. I love that about you guys. 
I think it's just more of like we when you find the right person, I've always looked at it as like I I was never going to rush it because I was like, if you meet the right person, you meet the right person. But if not, you're going to hit like, there's no point in just like, no, you don't do it just to do it. It's like you do it with the person and then you you take your lumps on whenever that is. Like, if that ends up being really late, like maybe you have to adopt a child or whatever. Yeah. Like it's like, but you're not going to do it with the wrong person. Yeah. You're not going to be happy. That doesn't end well. The, that's yeah, not, uh, no, but also like lock that down when you, when you find the right one, lock it down, make that commitment. Um, you either commit or you don't, that's the Southern man thing. I think is just that like you make the commitment and there's something to the marriage commitment where you're like, I am signing my name and I am, it, it, we're signing this contract. Uh, it, it's just loyal. some, yes. Y'all, it's, y'all are loyal. Look at me very, y'all. very organically using yeah. the word y'all without any stress, without any sense that I wasn't doing it right, without any panic. Right. I, I'm, I'm honestly panicking. Like I always try to work y'all into this, mm-hmm. but it sounds so stupid coming out of my mouth. I can't do it. I need a y'all in season three of Home Before Dark now. I'm, I'm a Yankee, a, so I, I can't really yeah. do the y'all. No, but we need it in Home Before Dark. We need one of the characters to usher in a y'all. We need a y'all. And then when I watch it, I'm like, oh, I made the show. Oh, my gosh. I made the show. Like, that's that's how it is. You definitely did make the show. You did. There we go. Um, Well, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're the nicest person. This is like the I love your show. Mm -hmm. This is so great. And hashtag sports hashtag sports well thank you so much good luck on season three i'm so excited for it do you have a date do we have a date to look out for it can we even As say I'm that told, i'm not allowed to say anything i'm always okay. told i'm not allowed to say anything not um, even a date thank okay. you for, and please yeah. tell everybody to watch the first two seasons yes. because um because it lives on a service where mm-hmm. it will be there for the rest of its life i yes. very intentionally created the costumes the look the whole thing mm-hmm to feel sort of throwback modern. So you couldn't Mm. quite tell when it was made because I was Mm -hmm. like, I want this to live forever. So please go watch it. Absolutely. Flannels everywhere. You'll never know for sure. Like you're flannels everywhere. It's kind of dark. So you can't hundred percent tell you're in the woods a lot. Vancouver kind of like you can't tell American Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. We got a British guy with an American accent. We're working it out. It's It's the twin peaks thing where it's just, you never really know. You never, and once upon a time, it's all that you're like, wow, this is such a great magical world. All these people uh, coexist uh, with one another, but Dana, thank you so much for making the time. This has been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Everything. And good luck. Like I said, go this season, go watch um, Before Dark. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Chase Most Podcast with Dana Fox from Home Before Dark. Go check out Home Before Dark on Apple TV if you have not already done so. Season one and season two available to stream now. Great show. Great cast. Great story. And uh, just Really great stuff all across the board. So go do that. Keep up with Dana on our Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. Support the show and uh, support Dana Fox uh, going forward. That would be great. Um, If you like listening to Dana and myself on this very podcast, on this very feed, please do uh, make sure to leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. If you have not already done so, please do take a second and do that. It would be greatly appreciated. And uh, you can also watch it on youtube.com. Just look up the Chase Thomas Podcast, hit that subscribe button, like, share it out, all that good stuff. Email the show as always at Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, follow myself at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer go visit chase for access to all of my previous episodes like this one with home before darks dana fox check 
all that out and more, subscribe to the daily newsletter, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Sports Renaissance Man, that's me. Um, all that good stuff. And thank you so much for, uh, for listening. As always, uh, new episode tomorrow because there's a new episode in your feed every day on this very podcast. Look out for it. Subscribe. All that good stuff. Thank you. And I will talk to you all very soon. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.